Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Brandon Lindell, Executive Ministry Pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Last week we talked about Elisha healing Naaman by God's power. Naaman had a terminal disease of leprosy, terminal at the time, a terrible disease, and God heals him. Elisha has a servant that's in a very similar position to the kind of relationship he had with Elijah, a servant who has audience to what God is doing, a front row seat to how God is working. He has proximity. And he sees this happen, and Naaman, after he was healed, offers Elisha, he just had come with so much stuff. He'd come with over $5 million by our value today of gold and silver and clothes. And he's like, hey, take some of this. And Elisha's like, no, we're good. And he sends Naaman away, and that's where we pick up the story in chapter 5. He says, go in peace, Elisha said. So Naaman started home again, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master should not have let this Aramean get away without accepting any of his gifts. As surely as the Lord lives, I will chase after him and get something from him. So Gehazi set off after Naaman, and when Naaman saw Gehazi running after him out of breath, he climbed down from his chariot, and he went to meet him and says, is, is, is everything good? Are you all right? He goes, oh, yeah, I'm good. He says, all is well. My master sent me to say, uh, there have just come to us from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, you know what? Why don't you just take two? Take, be pleased to take two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two servants. And they carried him before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house. And he sent the men away and they departed. When he went to his master, Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? He said, I haven't been anywhere. He replied, but Elisha asked them, don't you realize that I was with you there in spirit when Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to receive money and clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and cattle, male and female servants? Because you have done this, you and your descendants will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. And when Gehazi left the room, he was covered with leprosy, and his skin was white as snow. As we look at this passage in 2 Kings chapter 5, it's obviously a sobering passage. You know, proximity to the things of God is a good thing. When God gives you proximity to what he's doing, either you get to pray for somebody and 
and God heals them, or you get to be around a moment where God touches somebody in a mighty way, or you get to be in a service where the presence of the Lord comes down, proximity is a good thing. Being where God is moving is a good thing. But it's only good if we grow from it, if we allow God to work in us, not just watch God move around us. Proximity is good if it helps you grow, if it makes you warm to the things of God, if it helps you say, God, I want to be more like you. God, I want to move towards you. But proximity can be deadly if God is working around you, but he's doing nothing in you. It can harden you to the things of God. It can make you cold to his presence. It can make you okay with things that he's not okay with. I want to speak to you from the subject, deadly proximity to a double portion. Deadly proximity to a double portion. With Gehazi, you see a man who is close to a man of God. What a privilege. I think when I read this story, man, this is what Elisha was doing. Elisha was with Elijah. He was serving Elijah, and that set him up for God to move in ways in his life that he probably could have never imagined when he started. And Gehazi's in that same position, but the proximity to a guy like Elisha hasn't changed him. The work of God hasn't changed him, and so it causes some things to happen inside of him. Deadly proximity to a double portion can bring a prideful rationalization. Watch what happens here. It says, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself. Now, I, I want you to realize we are seconds from Naaman rolling away from Elisha's house. Seconds. That shows you what kind of familiarity is kind of built in here because Naaman was healed of leprosy. That was amazing. That would be a good moment for Gehazi to go, Elisha, did you see what just happened? God healed him. That's incredible. Let's praise the Lord. Let's celebrate what God did. Let's have a party. Let's say, wow, let's worship. Anything like that would be appropriate, but none of those are his response. The second Naaman pulls away, Gehazi starts to think starts to let the enemy work over his mind. You know, this is how the enemy works. James says it well in James chapter 1. He says, but each person is tempted. This is how temptation works, how sin works, how thought life works. When he's lured and enticed by his own desire, then the desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives forth death. Gehazi could have been thinking about how awesome God is moving. Instead, he allows the enemy to work over his desire. 5.1 million dollars. I can't believe Elisha would say no to that. You know, we don't need all of it. 
I just need a little bit of it. You know, look at our clothes. Like, that guy had 10 changes of clothes. And we, we don't need 10. That's a lot. That's excessive for anybody. You know, just two. You know, we don't need all his money. We just need a little bit. In fact, we, through the story, learn what he's kind of thinking. Naaman's brought $5.1 million, and he's going to ask for a talent of silver and two suits of clothing. Max, that's about $125,000 our value today. He's like, I don't need, I don't even need 10%. Think of all the people we could help. Think of the difference we can make. You know what? Honestly, I think God wants me to be happy. I think this is the, I think Elisha's missing. This is the blessing of God. A guy shows up, God heals him, and then he wants to give us some stuff, and we need it. Man, we got this school that we're trying to build, and we got these things we're trying to do. This could really, really help us. And his desires start getting worked over. Desire starts getting worked over. I deserve this. I deserve it. You know, I, for all I do for Elisha, and then, and then I stepped out. I'm the one who stepped out of the door and said, hey, Naaman, go wash yourself in the Jordan. Like, really, I was the major player in this. It's not wrong for me to want to be blessed. The enemy working over his desire. You know, that's how the enemy wants to work in your life. That's how he works in the mind. This isn't wrong. Like, this is an escape. Everybody needs some place they can let off some steam. It's not hurting anybody. He'll never miss it. The guy has $5 million he wants to give us. I only want $125,000. He'll never miss it. You know, we, I work for a huge company. Like, they'll never miss it. The enemy's working over your desire. It's not hurting anybody. Like, my porn habit is not hurting anybody. I think it actually helps my wife. It helps me be a better husband. That's a lie from the enemy. The enemy wants to destroy your life, wants to work over your thoughts. It starts with that desire being worked over, but then it moves to a devaluing of people. Watch what he says. He says, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master should not have let this Armenian get away. You know what he's saying? My master should have not done that. He's saying, I feel like I have a little more discernment in this situation than Elisha does. A little more discernment than the man of God. You know, he's a great guy, Elisha. God's really using him. But I think he really missed it on this one. I think that was the Lord. You know, if proximity hardens your heart, that's what happens to you. You become an evaluator of what is happening, an evaluator of the decisions, an evaluator rather than being moved by what God is doing in the moment. You elevate what you call discernment when it's the enemy working in your life. He says he shouldn't have. So he's devaluing Elisha, and he's also devaluing Naaman. You know, dude, Syrians, they're the worst. He thinks he can just roll up here 
in our country. You know, Syrians would come over the Golan Heights and they would raid Israel. That's how Naaman found out about Elisha. They had a slave girl from Israel in his house. And so Gehazi is like, this guy does not deserve to be healed. We deserve, he should be giving us $5 million, maybe not even enough. He should be blessing us. It, it's a demeaning thing. It's working, the enemy's working him over. Then he moves to a decision. I think this is the most telling part. He goes, as surely as the Lord lives, as surely as the Lord lives, I will chase after him. God, you would want me to have this. You decide that God is in on what you're doing. You go, you know what? I, I know it's cheating. I, like, I know technically it's cheating. But God, dude, if I told you the story of how I met her, you could only conclude it was a God thing. She was there. I was there. It, it, it was just, I, I'm just telling you, it's God. They're lying to themselves, trying to make something that is wrong and sinful and say, God's in this because God wants me to be happy. God wants to bless me. Yes, God wants to bless you, but that blessing will not come into your life through sin. Yes, God wants to be good to you, but he's not going to be good by violating his word. You're being lied to by the enemy. The enemy has come to you and he's worked over your mind. He said, you deserve it. He said, I told you all kinds of things about how people aren't worth what you're giving them. Do you see how you serve them? Do you see how you work at that company? Do you see what you do for her? You deserve this. And that's exactly where Gehazi's at. The enemy working him over. The enemy speaking into his mind and him eating it up. Proximity has built in him this prideful rationalizing of sinning against other people and being deceitful. And maybe you're there today. Maybe you're, you're in a situation where you have things going on in your heart and mind and you're letting them play over and the thoughts conceived and the desire is conceived and it's given birth to sin but the truth is, sin, when it's full grown, will give birth to death. You're headed over a cliff. The bridge is out. And God comes to you today by his Holy Spirit and says, I love you too much to let you keep going. I'm going to send you there so you can hear this word about Gehazi because I care about you. And I want to work in your life. Second, it brings a misrepresentation. Misrepresentation. Look at what he says. He, he goes, when Naaman saw Gehazi running after him, he climbed down from his chariot and he went to meet him and said, is everything all right? Now, I think this is the first check from the Holy Spirit in the passage. I think this is the first time that God is trying to wake Gehazi up, trying to say, hello, what you're doing is not good. What you're doing is going to hurt and damage your life. What you're doing is going to damage the people around you. Is everything all right? I want to ask you today, is everything all right? Is it good? Is, 
what you're doing at night good? Is it all right? Are you all right at night? Is your marriage, is everything all right in your marriage? Is everything all right? Are you being honest? Is everything okay? Is the enemy working you over? Are you all right? You can feel the weight. The Holy Spirit speaking to people. Speaking to you. Is everything okay? Because if it's not, then stop. No, it's not good right now. No, you know what? That's a moment for him to go, no, is everything okay? Gehazi, no, I shouldn't be here right now. I need to go back. But he keeps going. And he lies. Look at what he says. He says, wait, everything's all right. And he said, all is well. All's good. Oh, no, I'm good, man. I'm good. I was just running. Uh, out of breath. You know, my master sent me, and then he tells this story, and it's a very plausible story. And this is really the problem when proximity goes bad. The problem when you're around spiritual things, but you have no work of God in your heart. He makes up this story, and it sounds good. It sounds right. It's like, he's like, you know what happened? Craziest things. I know you left like five minutes ago, but uh, two guys came from the hills of Ephraim. They're like a couple of college students, and uh, they, they need a scholarship. Uh, and they don't, their clothes are all worn out. They're from this really poor part of the country. And so we just really, you know, they came, you left. We were like, we need to help them out. And so, you know what would be great is if you could just give us like mm, maybe $25,000 and a couple changes of clothes. And he tells this story that's very plausible. It's a story that has a ring of truth to it. And you know why he can do that is because he's been around it. Maybe you've been around spiritual things. Maybe you've been around church. That's a problem if God's not working in your life because you can think you're good and you can play the game. You can be like, you know how to talk spiritual talk. You may even be able to quote scripture. You may be able to get into arguments with people about the Bible, but God's not working in your life. You're dead inside, and you're going to find yourself wound up somewhere where you don't want to be doing something you don't want to do because God has not changed your heart. He's actually, by proximity, God has not done this, but you have hardened your heart to the things of God. So when God's moving, you become an evaluator. You become somebody who's like, yeah, it was a, it's okay. I've, I've heard better sermons, or I, I've been in better worship services. Who cares that you've been in better worship services? Did God work in your heart? Who cares? For some of you, that means that, like, you know, you're dating somebody, and they, they're around the things of God, but God hasn't changed their heart. And you've allowed yourself, you blinded yourself to the fact that they don't really have a relationship with the Lord because of the way they can talk, the way they can say the right things. But there's an emptiness there. 
And it's a misrepresentation. And it's killing you. Is everything all right? Yes, it's good. We just need this. Now, I want you to notice something about what Naaman gives him. I think the writer of 2 Kings draws our attention. Watch how many times he says the word two. And Naaman said, be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried him before him. You know what's interesting about that? This whole story of Elisha starts with somebody asking for a double anointing. Double. And Gehazi gets double. But when double comes to you from deception, it's a lie from the enemy that it's a good thing. The problem with this is Gehazi can say, look at this. This is, things are going great. You know what? Sin is fun for a season, but be sure your sin will find you out. The thought conceives gives birth to sin, but sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. There's a moment where you could say, oh, I think I'm fine. I think I'm good. I, I think things are going okay. It's kind of working out. But you're misrepresenting to people. You're dishonoring the Lord, and you're lying to yourself. That's what's happening with Gehazi. And that's going to lead you to the third thing, and that's deadly ramifications. Watch what happens. And when he came to the hill, he took from their hand and put them in the house. That's the stuff he got. And he sent the men away, and they departed. And he went in and stood before his master Elisha and said to him, his master Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, your servant went nowhere. Now, I think it's interesting, like, just read it. He went in, so, <laughs> and Elisha's like, where were you? And he's like, I don't go anywhere. That's kind of how sin works, okay? When you get deep into sin, things that should be obvious to you, that are even obvious to people around you, you get blinded to them. People can see it. But you've lived in it. You believed your own lie. I mean, he should have, he should have at least said, I went to get a drink of water. Or I felt like I needed some air. Or anything. Nowhere, all right? But once again, it's the Lord coming to him, saying, where are you? Where did you go? You know the right response when God gives you an opportunity for repentance? It's honesty. The conviction of the Holy Spirit Spirit of the living God, I pray that you fill this place right now in every campus and those watching online and every person under the sound of my voice. And I pray that your conviction would rest upon them right now in the name of Jesus.
You feel the conviction of the Lord. And when you're in that moment, it's uncomfortable. It's heavy. Because God loves you. And when he puts his conviction on you, don't change the subject. Don't try to move. Don't try to get out. Let it rest on you. Because he loves you. This is the same as God moving in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. God comes in the garden and goes, Adam, where are you? Do you think God didn't know where Adam was? He knows exactly where he is. He's asking the question, not for the need for information, but out of love for Adam. There's power in repentance. There's power when God gives you the opportunity to turn, to turn to him. There's healing in repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to life, Paul says. God is not coming to you, convicting you, so you can just feel bad about it. He doesn't leave you where you're at. He takes you where you are and changes you from the inside out. That's his heart. But that doesn't happen unless you say, God, I'm going to respond. I'm going to repent. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say all of it. I'm going to tell you everything, Lord. Some of you, after this message, are going to go to people that you've sinned against. And you're going to tell them that you've wronged them. When you do that, the enemy is going to try to help you. He will think he's helping you to try to get you to hide just one little thing. I don't need to tell him all. Tell him all this and this will make it better. Don't do that. Just tell him everything. Be honest. God will be right there with you. And it will be painful. But you're going to walk in a new freedom and a new blessing and a new wholeness. When you say, God, it doesn't matter what the future looks like. I trust you. <laughs> he says, where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, your servant went nowhere. Watch what happens. Elisha asked him, and he replied, your servant went nowhere. But Elisha says, don't you realize I was there with you in spirit when Naaman stepped down from the chariot to meet you? What he's saying is, when we walk with God, there's a gift of the Spirit, of the spirit called discernment. And as you're leading, if you're leading a group of people, or you lead a life group, you need to ask the Lord for that. If you're a parent, you need the gift of discernment. And God will give it to you. That's why as a parent, sometimes you just, I, I believe every parent has a level of that. But if you walk in the Holy Spirit, it gets amplified like a hundred times. As a parent, have you ever had your kids come in and be like, you're like, where were you? And they're like, I was nowhere. And you're like, oh, I know exactly where you were at. <laughs> That's the gift of discernment. 
That's the Holy Spirit working in your life and your heart to help you. Sometimes as a parent, you, it could be happening behind you. You don't even see it, but you know what's going on. They may not even be in the same house, but you know what's going on. They might be at a sleepover at somebody else's house, and you know what's going on. You are a parent, but you have the gift of discernment. That's what's happening here. But when you get the Holy Spirit, he amplifies that. Every person needs that. If you lead a business, you need the gift of the Holy Spirit. You need discernment. That's what Elisha's saying here. I was with you in spirit. I know what happened. But then watch. Is this the time to receive money and clothing? olive groves and vineyards, sheep and cattle, male and female servants. Because you have done this, you and your descendants will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. Notice that, and this is true, and it is sad, sin doesn't just affect Gehazi. It affects his descendants. You know, in the Old Testament, some physical realities are spiritual realities in the New Testament. The truth of what's happening here might be playing out in your life. That sin can affect generations. You might be like, well, how's that work? Well, maybe... You're like, I struggle with lying, now I see it in my kids. Or my, my mom struggled with gossip, and I'm a gossip, and now I see that in my kids. Or my great-great-granddad was an alcoholic. Then my grandfather was an alcoholic. Then my dad was an alcoholic. Or my mom, now I'm an alcoholic. My dad cheated on his wife. My mom cheated on her husband. And now I'm right here and I'm cheating. Sin doesn't just affect you, it affects everybody around you. Damages everybody around you. Brings death to every person around you. And that's why if you're, you might be listening to this and you might be like, well, I'm just in the desire mode. Nothing really has happened yet. Be careful lest you fall. That thing you're playing with, that DM that you can't let go of, that person at work that you end up at their cubicle, that place you go at night is going to destroy your life. And no, you cannot handle it on your own. God loves you. And just like a decision to say, you know, I'm going this way. You let the desire conceive, birth to sin, sin to death, can leave generational consequences. A decision to honor God. A decision to say, no, 
As for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. A decision to say, I'm going to love God with all my heart. The decision to say, I'm not going to let this desire control me. I'm going to give all my desires to him. I'm going to say, God, I'm all about you. God, I need you. A decision to follow Jesus can have generational blessing for your life, can bring freedom for your family, that where there was death, maybe there was alcoholism, or maybe there was infidelity, it brings a breaking of that chain, and it brings a new generation of life, a new generation of hope, a new generation of power and conviction. A decision can bring change. It doesn't matter what curse you think you're under. It doesn't matter what your life looks like. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It does not matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter. Today is the day. A decision today can turn it around. A decision today can bring the blessing of God where there was a curse. A decision today can change your life. It starts with repentance. It starts with saying, God, I'm going this way, but I'm going to turn to you. Turn away from that. Turn to you. And I'm going to burn the bridge behind me. For some of you, that means you're going to get a flip phone. I'm serious. I'm serious. Are you going to do it? Are you not? You say, God, I'm about you. I can't handle this. I need your help, but I want to show you that I'm serious. For some of you, that means you're changing your job. Literally, you're going to quit your job. For some of you, that means you're going to check yourself in somewhere. Because your alcohol addiction is too big for you. God will help you, but you're saying, God, I'm going this direction. I want your grace. I want your help. But the, you know what? You can do all those things. You can put all the accountability you want in place. But if you don't change the inside, nothing will change. Because you need a heart transplant. You need to change. You say, God, how do I change my desires? Jesus can do that. Some of you, the best decision you can make is to give your heart to Jesus. Every single campus. The best decision you can make is to rededicate your life to the Lord. If you're like, well, I'm saved, Brandon. I'm a Christian. If there's no power in your life, if there's no evidence of fruit in your life, then you're not a Christian. It doesn't matter if you feel like, man, I feel like sometime, somewhere, I've made a decision for Jesus. If you're not living for him today, that's the real question. And you should say, God, I need to rededicate my life because I want you and I need you. And there's nothing else that matters.